Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. As we all know, it, it comes down to, oftentimes comes down to luck, comes down to a bounce, comes down to, you know, comes down to a, a a penalty flag that gets called that, that gets thrown that shouldn't have been thrown. <laughs> We've seen all kinds of stuff like that. I mean, the league is just so incredibly competitive that, I mean, any, any once you get to the playoffs, anything can happen. Great to have you on board. Really looking forward to my guest upcoming in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you that today's podcast is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. Locally owned for over 20 years for your plumbing needs and repairs. Just go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X. And again, I want to thank those that have taken the time to send me an email or hit me up on social media thanking me for the recommendation of New Works Plumbing. And I want to thank New Works Plumbing for sponsoring the podcast. They have been awesome, and they will be awesome for you as well. For all of your plumbing needs and repairs, make sure you check out newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. My guest on today's podcast is a guy that I think is truly one of the very best at what he does. The radio voice of the Dallas Mavericks since 2005. Does college football, college basketball. He's done the NFL. A lot of extra things on Westwood One. And we love debating the Cowboys and the Giants, although probably not a lot today. <laughs> the great Chuck Cooperstein. Chuck, how are you, man? Wherever you want to go, Grant, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> if, that, if, that's really, if, that's where, if, if you're very hung up on that, on in late June, then let's go right ahead. You know what? Then you fit in Dallas perfectly right now. <laughs> <laughs> boy, isn't that the case? Oh, man. I'll tell you, though, seriously, it's great to uh, hear your voice. And, boy, it's crazy what's going on in Dallas right now. So let's start with the, the news right after the end of the season, just kind of like one right after another, a, a wave of events. Are you surprised with what's gone on in the front office and now with Rick Carlisle resigning? Well, y- yes, in it- a word. Although, you know, once – once the story in the athletic broke and once the decision to remove Donnie as the uh, president of basketball operations, at that point, I was not surprised that Rick decided that he would try something else and, and wanted to leave. You, know, you got to remember that when, when Rick was hired, he and Donnie had gone back to high school. They, they went to the same high school in Worcester Academy in Massachusetts. Donnie's, I think, three years older than Rick is. But, uh, but they've known each other that long. And when, when Avery Johnson was fired and Donnie was charged with hiring the coach, there was only one interview that 
was conducted, and that was with Rick. And that's how close they are. So with with Rick being, uh, you know, having two years left on his deal, but also with the knowledge that nobody wants to go into the final year of their contract, you know, without the, without an extension, uh, because we just know what lame duck years look like. And knowing that a new general manager was coming in that he had not worked with, I'm sure he's thinking, you know what, this, this is a pretty good time to pick up my ball and go home and see, you know, what else is out there. You've been there for a while. You've seen the great teams, the championship, and uh, obviously watching Dirk Nowitzki, but watching Luka Doncic play every night, what's that like from your perspective? I'm the luckiest play-by-play announcer that's ever lived, okay? <laughs> I mean, I, I went from, you know, the greatest European player and arguably the greatest international player that's ever been produced because I still think that I'll, I'll never put a Kim Olajuwon into the, uh, into the international grouping because he really learned his trade in the United States, the University of Houston. You know, Dirk was a pure, a pure European who came over and, uh, and, and wound up, you know, sixth in the league in, uh, in scoring in his career uh, before he retired. And then, so you get that and, you, you know, you see all the great moments with him. And then, you know, this, this kid comes along and in three seasons makes you wonder if uh, Dirk ultimately will be the greatest Maverick who ever lived <laughs> because of, of what this guy has done so early in his career. It, it's absolutely amazing to see. And even as you are amazed every night at what you see, really, are you surprised? You really shouldn't be surprised because you know it's, there's something that he's more than capable of producing every night. Now, you know, look, he's, he's not a perfect player by any stretch. You know, he turns it over too much. His free throw shooting is not what it needs to be, given how often he gets fouled. He probably complains to the officials too much. And, you know, that he's got to be able to calm that down a little bit. You know, some will chalk that up to competitiveness, and that's all well and good. But you, you have to know how to channel that competitiveness, too. And I think he'll figure that out because he's only 22 years old. I mean, that's the thing that's the most remarkable part of all this. He's accomplished so much individually, but he's only 22 years old. And and now it comes the whole team aspect of it because that's what this guy really is all about. All he wants to do is win. And he you know, hopefully the new administration, whoever that winds up being, are able to, you know, rejigger some parts and you know get some better fitting pieces perhaps around Lucas so that what happened in the playoffs against the Clippers doesn't happen next year and doesn't happen in, in succeeding years and they can not only win playoff series but ultimately win a championship easier said than done I'm glad you brought that up because you know he's a ball dominant guy he's going to have the ball in his hands uh, for for most of the game and let's face it in this day and age of the NBA that doesn't fly with everyone do you think it takes a, a I don't want to say a special type of player but I'll use a certain type of player is it about getting the right type of players around Luka and guys that understand that no matter what they're going to play second fiddle to him I, that is important, Grant. I don't deny that. But what I do, I do think the goal ultimately is, even as much of a, of a ball-dominant player as he is, that he can't have the ball in his hands 40% of the time. I mean, his usage rate cannot be that high because ultimately you get worn down. And I think we saw that in the Clippers series, you know, especially when you look at his first-half numbers versus his second-half numbers and specifically his fourth-quarter numbers. And you know, even if you look at those fourth quarter numbers, a lot of those came, uh, a lot of his points came after an issue had been decided one way or the other. Uh, so there's no question that th- th- they've got to be able to find a way to have another shot creator 
on the floor with him on a regular basis. You, know, you don't want to completely take it out of his hands. That would be foolish. But if you can, if, if there's a way to get his usage, his usage level down to say, you know, 34% or 35% instead of up around 40, that would be something that would be extraordinarily helpful to him. And I think ultimately uh, extraordinarily helpful to Mavericks because I think it just gets others involved. Look, and, and, and you've seen this, Grant. I mean, you know, great players, when they really have it cooking, there's a lot of standing around and watching from the other four players on the floor. And it's like, you know, they're watching a Broadway play and they're, they're waiting to see what happens next. And sometimes it's, it's hard to mentally keep yourself in the game. And, you know, that's really, it's no fault of anyone, but, you know, it just sort of is what it is. But in this case, I think the Mavericks realize that they've got to get Lucas some help, not just with guys who can spot up and, and shoot threes and shoot them maybe more consistently than the Mavericks have shot them, but at the same time, being able to initiate offense, you know, have Luca play off the ball some more. They, they tried to do that late in the year, but uh, ultimately be able to create for himself and others as opposed to just having Luca have to, you know, do everything for them. Chuck, you mentioned Dirk Nowitzki, and in my 32 years of uh, being in this business, uh, he is truly one of my my favorite players. Uh, I just love the way he went about his job. There's a right way and a wrong way to do things. I looked at him as a consummate professional. I looked at him as a guy that I would love to root for if he were on my team. There were all the superlatives. And I'll tell you, I'll share a story. The last time he was in Sacramento, Chuck, he came out and he was uh, sitting on the baseline. This was before the formal warm-ups. And uh, I went over to him and I extended my hand and he stood up. He was stretching. He stood up and he looked me in the eye. I just said, hey, Dirk, I just want to come over and say uh, how much I have enjoyed watching you play. What a privilege and an honor it's been uh, to, to cover so many great games with the Kings and the Mavs. And I just said, hey, I want to thank you for what you brought to the league. That's how much I admired him, Chuck. What was it like being around him every day? What was it like just having Dirk Nowitzki be a leader of a team that ultimately won that championship? You could never ask for any anyone better. Uh, there, uh, there has never been a more unassuming superstar than Dirk. And you know, everybody asks, well, you know, what's your favorite Dirk story? Well, mine is my first year with the team was uh, was two thousand five, two thousand six, and we're we're playing late in the season, play a game in L.A. It's an awful game, but Dirk hits a shot with a half second to go to win the game. And we go up to San Francisco and we're, you know, we're playing the Warriors the next night and we get to the hotel and it's two o'clock in the morning. And you, you, you know, the whole drill of what it's like showing up in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, the equipment truck with our, with our luggage shows up and there's, uh, you know, all of us in the you know, television crew, radio crew, you know, equipment guys, you know, all, all the, all the, iguanas if you will you know, sitting in the back of the <laughs> right, plane right. you know we're, we're we're the ones unloading the truck <laughs> right and um and so we're, we're doing this and then I'm, I'm looking around and here's dirk slinging bags wow he's slinging bags at 2, at 2 a.m and i'm thinking yeah kobe be doing that lebron <laughs> be doing that <laughs> right. he, he, he's you know he's, he's just the most regular guy and and most decent guy and, you know, I, I don't know that a, a championship was more appreciated by a fan base than the Mavericks championship and the Dallas fan base appreciated it for Dirk 
knowing everything that, you know, that Dirk had gone through in, in 13 years to get to that point and, and just knowing how much he had, he had grown with them and they had grown with him. And so it, it really, it really was extraordinary to be around him. And again, just to watch that work ethic and, you know, before games, uh, especially on the road when he would come out and warm up because at home he would always work out on the practice court, but he would come out and you're sitting on the bench and you're just watching him do his thing. And I'm just thinking, you know, this never gets old. <laughs> this sure. never gets old watching him do his thing because you know, you're watching greatness. What's it like working for Mark Cuban? Well, I mean, really Grant, he kind of stays out of my way. He, I mean, we, we talk and when we have to talk, but you know, it's not like he's, He's all over me as far as the broadcast is concerned. You know, he trusts me to do my job, and I like to believe that I do well. You know, he's he's interesting to talk to just you know before games and and whatnot. You know, when he holds court with the media along the Mavericks bench, and you know there are any number of issues that can be discussed. Uh, I I don't know that you know this year was obviously different. We weren't around him, but. I guess at some point cryptocurrency would come up, but uh, I don't know that I could be a part of that. Right. I think that, that might have been a little bit out of my league. But he's he's a really interesting guy to listen to and obviously, you know, has, has a lot of opinions and a lot of them that actually make a, a tremendous amount of sense, some of which I know the NBA has listened to and a lot of them that they haven't listened to. What's it like in a major market where the football team is king even though the record would not indicate that, Chuck, but um, where 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 it is the Cowboys, twenty four seven, three sixty five, and you know, hey, listen, the Dallas Stars have had some great teams, the Stanley Cup, the Mike Madonna years, and we can go on and on, but it's as simple as, boy, you better be good in that market, right? If you if you're going to have you know people be in that facility, and Dirk Nowitzki was able to accomplish that for all those years, and now Luka Doncic. But uh, the reason why I'm asking you this question, it's such a unique market, Chuck, where you have one franchise that is clearly a cut above the rest in the Cowboys. Yeah, and that that reflects itself in in talk radio and local TV and and how it's covered. Uh, you know, the, the Mavericks get kind of get covered in the moment. Every other sport kind of gets covered in the moment. If there's you know, a big playoff game, it gets covered. If you have Armageddon that happens in the front office like happened last week, it gets covered. You know, if you win a Stanley Cup, it gets covered. But there there is not necessarily the day-to-day coverage that there is with the Cowboys, where, you know, on, on June 27th, that they're they're worrying about who, who the, you know, who the, the, the dime safety is going to be and know how all this is going to work out. Hmm. There, you don't have uh, that type of coverage with the Mavericks, but it's not as if they're not covered. And certainly from, you know, from the print standpoint for the Dallas morning news, they're, they're covered extraordinarily well. So, you know, it's, it's just a fact of life. I think everybody knows it. I think, you know, one of the, I, I always thought one of the, the funny moments of the season would be, a couple of days after the Cowboys were eliminated, whatever it be at the end of the regular season or, you know, after losing the playoffs. And then you'd have like a bunch of TV people come to Mavericks practice and they would gather around Rick Carlisle and they would ask him some question that normally you would ask in early November, mm-hmm. but they're asking it in the middle of January. And Rick would always give him kind of that funny look and he's like, you know, where you've been all year uh, kind of thing. But hey, it, it's just the way it is. Everybody knows it. And, and everybody accepts it. And, you know, the, the Mavericks have their fan base. They have their a very, very loyal fan base. And uh, I think, you know, it, it goes beyond the, 
the, the 20,000 who normally would be inside the American Airlines Center. And, you know, from, from that standpoint, it's, it's, appre- it's appreciated, but we all know ultimately media is a business just like anything else is a business and, and they're going to cover what they believe makes them the most amount of money. And in this town, in Dallas, that's the Cowboys. How old were you when you first thought that, gee, maybe broadcasting sounds fun and that's something I may want to try? Probably 14 or 15, pretty much when I realized I wasn't going to grow much beyond six feet tall. And I realized also that as much as I like to play golf, I was not going to stand on the practice (laughs) day and beat 500 balls a day like my mom did in becoming a really good local amateur. I was just not going to do that, but I knew I loved sports and I knew I could run my mouth and that was probably going to be my way in because there was no doubt in my mind that when I grew up, I was going to be doing something in sports. I just uh, at that time didn't know what it was, but that certainly seemed like a a, a really great idea. And, you know, listen, Grant, you and I grew up in the same area. Sure. We grew up listening to the same people and the... The excitement that Marv Albert brought to the Knicks and to the Rangers and to Lindsey Nelson for me as a, as a Met fan, uh, Merle Harmon as a Jet fan, you know, tucking the, the the transistor radio under my under my pillow to try to get me to fall asleep, but I wouldn't fall asleep, but because I was too excited and just thinking, man, wouldn't that be great? And well, I, I got to live out my dream, and there aren't many people who get to do that, and I'm extraordinarily fortunate in that. It's amazing how many people in our business really were impacted by Marv Albert. I mean, I, I, it blows me away. I mean, I've talked to so many, so many broadcasters from that region of the country, and I ask you, you know, who's the guy that really got you interested? Who was the guy that you listened to or gal? And um, they all tell me Marv Albert. It's mind-boggling to me. I mean, what an impact he had on this industry for, for those like yourself. Extraordinary. And you know, I, I know – a lot of what I do, just the, the tempo that I broadcast with is, is how he broadcast on radio. You know, this generation primarily knows Marv through television, whether it be through NBC or, you know, TNT or what have you. But to me, Marv was the greatest radio play-by-play announcer I've ever heard. And, and it really isn't even close. And I'm just sorry that uh, there's a whole generation that never got to hear him uh, in that genre, because that was true brilliance. You know, there were just so many incredible moments, and not the least of which, obviously, was, you know, when the Knicks won in 1970, and Willis Reed came through the tunnel right before the start of Game 7 against the Lakers, and, you know, just the excitement in his voice mm-hmm. and the crowd coming to this crescendo as Reed came out of the tunnel, and then he hits the two elbow jumpers, and Marv's going nuts, the Garden's going nuts, and you're thinking, man, it can't be any better than that. The thing about Marv, that I think he did as well as any radio broadcaster that I've ever heard, Chuck, the inflection in his voice. Uh, and I learned so much by just listening to him. And I know that you have, too. And when I listen to you, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, and I would say the same for me when I used to do radio. And, and I think that for, for those of us that are in this profession, listening to so many others, but we didn't get a chance to do that growing up, Chuck, because we were pre-internet. I didn't get a chance to listen to Chick Hearn. I didn't get a chance to listen to Bill King. I didn't get a chance to listen, right. you know, to Dan Kelly do hockey in St. Louis until I went to Bowling Green and could get KMOX. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, Marv, sure. taught, Marv I learned so much just by listening to Marv do games on the radio. Well, again, you know, you're always in many ways a product of, of who you listen to and who you grew up with. 
you know, I grew up in New York, so I was I was going to grow up if I was going to do, be a broadcaster, a sports broadcaster, a basketball announcer, or a football announcer, uh, doing it the way Marv did it. Now, Marv learned it in many ways from Marty Glickman, mm-hmm. who yes. you know really is uh, you know arguably the the the, the godfather of, of all of this. You know, going going all the way back. Of course, I was a Jet fan, and Marty did the Giants, and so I would not listen to the Giants. And I rarely <laughs> listened to Marty until he actually he actually started doing the Jets. And for some reason, I just could not wrap my arms around the idea that the Giants announcer was going to be the Jets announcer. There was just something very wrong with that. <laughs> hey, hey, I got to tell you something, Chuck. I got to interrupt you here because this is a. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but growing up as a kid, we had season tickets to both the Giants and the Jets, and I was just the opposite of you. I loved the Giants. And I hated the Jets. And but we would go to a game every single Sunday. And I got to tell you, the season ticket holders in our section at Chase Stadium hated me because one week I'd be rooting for the Bills, two weeks later the uh, the Colts, and so on and so forth. And the season ticket holders used to go to my dad, "What the hell are you bringing this little brat kid to the games for?" <laughs> because you know I just couldn't stand the Jets. But boy, oh boy, I love the Giants. I'll never forget those days. Seriously, I'm not kidding you. The fancy Chase Stadium hated me. With great understanding. I mean, of course, <laughs> right. they should have hated you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but, you know, so, would you say that most of your friends, because I would say that's very true of most of my friends. You remember Marty McNeil, uh, who we lost uh, sure. you know, two years Absolutely. ago. Marty was uh, the longtime beat writer for the Sacramento Kings for the Sacramento Bee. And Marty was, you know, a crazy New Yorker. But Marty used to root for all the New York teams. He'd root for the Mets, the Yankees. The... I go, Marty, what the hell is wrong with you? I don't know anybody that does that. Did you have it? <laughs> Seriously, did you have any friends that rooted for all the teams in New York? No, absolutely not. You were, you were usually it was Mets, Jets, Knicks, Islanders, uh, and of course when I was you know younger, the, the Islanders didn't exist. I mean, the Islanders didn't exist until 1972, and I was 14 at that time. So actually, I did grow up a Ranger fan, and you know it did it did kill me when when the Bruins beat them in the finals in in, uh, in 72. Mm-hmm. Bobby Orr did a spinorama from the blue line and banged one home in Game Six to to win that series. But yeah, I mean, you were you were Mets, Jets, Knicks, Islanders, and then you know there was the Yankees, Giants, Knicks, and Rangers. And it basically to me, it always broke down along Long Island, Queens, and Brooklyn. You were that was the the Mets area, and then if you were going up toward the Bronx and Manhattan and into, into Connecticut. And, and Jersey, that was the Yankees and Giants and all that. Yeah, to me, it was, I, I don't disagree with that, but I also think the impact of, you know, who did your dad root for? You know, I mean, my dad, my and, yes. you, and it's glad you bring up the Barry, because my dad grew up in Queens and Forest Hills. And, you know, when he was growing up, obviously there was no Mets, no Jets. And I think that had a lot, no Islanders. So I think that had a lot to do with it. You know, when you look back, though, uh, at your career, and you talked about some of the people that you grew up listening to, was there one situation, one individual one moment that really paved the way that changed the, the, the path of your career? It's a good question. I mean, I mean, in a crazy way, you know, a really sad thing that happened, it was a sad thing that happened. And that was when, I mean, as far as play-by-play is concerned, when I moved to Dallas and I worked at Carol D Radio, Brad Sham hired me, but, but Frank Lieber, you know, was still doing a lot of stuff in the market. You know, great play-by-play announcer, for CBS and, you know, do the masters. And, uh, you know, he was, he was really like, 
you know, CBS used to have a guy that was assigned to each team, like Pat Summerall and Jack Whitaker back in the day were assigned to the Giants. And Frank, and uh, Ray Scott was assigned to the Packers. And, and, and Frank was assigned to the Cowboys. Well, eight months after I got to Dallas, Frank passed away. And it, it just opened up a whole bunch of opportunities for me that I don't think I would have had otherwise. And so, you know, you know that's it, it's a very unfortunate type of thing, but, but it, it definitely paved an opportunity for me that I was able to take advantage of. You know, just the idea of when I first moved to Dallas, I don't know there was anyone in particular, you know, a big name that anybody would know, but I, I did some freelance work for KMOX in St. Louis at the, at the U, for the U.S. Open when it was at Wingfoot in 1984. And, you know, the work I did there led to the producer in St. Louis telling Brad that, no, you know, he, Brad was asking about some other guy and said, the guy in St. Louis said, no, you don't want to hire that guy. You want to hire this guy, Cooperstein, in New York. He knows wow. what he's doing. And so, you know, I, I was I was very fortunate, just very, very fortunate, you know, that, that I had some I had some people looking out for me. And I think that's, you know, I think it's true for just about everybody in every business. You know, you've got to have somebody advocating for you. You can you could do so much advocating on your own. But ultimately, there's there's somebody who can get to the decision maker on your behalf, then uh, you've got a much better chance. Is there one thing that you've really wanted to do in your career that you have not had the opportunity to do so? Well, yeah, I've, I've never done a football game at Michigan. I've never done a football game at Notre Dame. I would love to do that. Mm. I've been really lucky. I've been to just about every venue that I could possibly want to, to go to, to do a game. And the, and the other thing that I've never done that I would love to do, I would love to be on the 15th hole at, at Augusta National on Sunday. That would be amazing. And, I, you know, a couple of years ago, I had the chance to, to go to the Masters for the first time and got to walk the golf course. And that was the year the Tiger won. Wow. And so I, I, it was just nuts uh, on, on, in the best of circumstances, but with all of that and just all of the buzz and you know everything that you hear about the Masters and you know, you, you think you know by watching it on TV, no, you don't know. No. It's like the, the famous Jim Moore line: "You think you know, but you don't know, <laughs> and you never will." <laughs> and, the only, and, and, and the only way that you will know is if you actually go through it. And so, yeah, I, I would love to be in the tower at fifteen, a fifteen especially, just because there's so much action on that hole. There's so much feast or famine on that hole. Uh, it's been such a, a deciding factor in so many Masters. That would be the place I'd love to be. I was, not been to. I was at the Masters three years ago for the first time. We were in Phoenix, uh, and I was fortunate enough uh, to get a pass for the Thursday round, and we were playing Memphis on Friday. So I'm in Phoenix on Wednesday, take the red eye to Atlanta, get a connecting flight to Augusta, and I got to tell you, I spent the whole day out there. And as you know, you know, you walk, you walk, you walk. But then I was sitting around Amen Corner and I'd taken that all in. But, you know, as beautiful as the course looks on TV, and it does now with, you know, the high def and everything else, there is just nothing like walking that golf course. I mean, I, I would, and I say this, Chuck, and I know you would too, if anyone listening, if you ever get an opportunity, regardless of the sacrifice got that you have to, to make, it. you've got to do it. There's, it's just unbelievable. You know, it, the, the one hole that amazed me more than any other was seven. Yep. Just how hilly oh. that, that uphill that second oh. shot was and just how 
narrow front to back that green is unbelievable and thinking how how does anybody keep it on the green there i mean you, you number one you have to hit it up to up to god uh you know to be able to even have a chance to stop the ball but when they stick it in the far right corner which, <laughs> which was on that particular sunday right they, you got you, so you got to be kidding me you got to be how does this, how does this happen and it just again shows how great those guys are and how guys, you know, guys like me who, you know, have beaten it around for a little while, we, we are just such hacks. We, they are playing they are playing an entirely different game than the one that you and I and, and most others go out and play during the course of the week. Well, we can't go without me talking to you about the Giants and the Cowboys. The Giants stink. <laughs> uh, you know, I really felt that the Cowboys – um, demise the last few years and demise is probably not the right word because they weren't at the pinnacle but I thought it was all with the offensive line I mean the Cowboys went from having the best offensive line in football to an offensive line that was broken down and in shambles and to me that was a lot of the cause for the Cowboys uh, you know lack of success the last few years what do you think about that I mean, there's absolute truth in that, uh, and especially last year, you know, when when Lyle Collins never makes the season and Tyron Smith makes very little of the season. Uh, you know, when you start when you lose your starting tackles, it's never a good thing because there's not a, there are not enough bodies to, to to overcome that, and the specific choices that the Cowboys made to try to overcome those losses were disastrous at best. So I would agree with you. Now Smith is back healthy, Collins is back healthy. You know, they've, they've solved their problem at center with the Biotish, who I actually thought played pretty well last year being thrown into the mix right away. I think they're going to be okay there. But to, to me, the, the bigger issue, and it's been an issue, frankly, for the last decade plus, has been their inability to force turnovers yep. and to force short fields so that there are cheap touchdowns for an otherwise very good offense and a very good passing offense. Now, ironically enough, as disastrous as Mike Nolan's defense was for much of last year, Terrible. they actually did a really good job in the last half of the season at forcing turnovers. And I'm, I'm now curious to see with Dan Quinn coming in, uh, you know, some of the changes they've made, you know, bringing, uh, drafting Parsons, who I think is a, a terrific player and I think is going to be a playmaker for him. You know, what, what they've done in the, in the secondary, that if, if they're able to continue that, because if, if they can get some of that, I think they have a chance to be pretty good because I know they're going to score points. At least as long as Dak is playing, as long as Zeke is playing, as long as those receivers are there, they are going to score points. But they just can't have to, they can't work as hard as they've had to work in order to score their points. So you're so. If, if that, yeah. if, if, I was going to say, if that comes easier for them, and I think they have a chance to be pretty good. So you're sold on Prescott. You think he's a franchise quarterback? You think he's a guy that can win a Super Bowl? I, I believe he is. I think he's terrific. And he was off to an incredible start last year before he got hurt. And, you know, then their offense just completely went in the tank. I mean, even with the offensive line struggling as it was. And, look, you know, there were some mistakes that Dak made and didn't hold on to the ball and things I know that he, that he can do better. But given what happened last year with the injury, how the team fell apart once he got hurt, I will tell you that there is a, a complete confidence in him uh, not only physically, but as the emotional leader of that team, you, you as a team, you want a guy like Dak Prescott on it, and you want him leading your team because he will do anything to win, and he, he will go the extra mile, not just for himself, but for his teammates too. 
extra game this year, so 17 games. And again, we can't predict injuries, but if, you know, they get a fairly good break, unlike last year, break's not the right word to use here because we're talking about Prescott, but what do you see as the, the ceiling for this team? In the ceiling, I think, is, I mean, they can be a playoff. Obviously, they can be a playoff game, playoff team. I think they can probably win a playoff game. I mean, but as we all know, I mean, it, it comes down to, oftentimes comes down to luck, comes down to a bounce, comes down to, you know, comes down to a, a, a penalty flag that gets called, that, that gets thrown, that shouldn't have been thrown. <laughs> We've seen all kinds of stuff like that. I mean, the league is just so incredibly competitive that, I mean, any once you get to the playoffs, anything can happen, and and I think we've seen enough of that uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, and and I guess that is the beauty of the NFL is that everybody knows, you know, the goal is just to get there. Mm-hmm. Once you get there, anything can happen. It is so awesome to catch up with you. I wish we were doing this after a Cowboys loss, but the football season has not begun yet. So, <laughs> see, I don't, see, I don't hate, the, I don't hate the Giants enough to get back to you. You know, like I don't, I don't hate, I don't hate the Giants. Like I don't, I don't, I don't never hated Eli. Don't hate Daniel Jones. Uh-huh. You know, Jason Garrett's up. Jason Garrett's there now. Right? I've known Jason Garrett almost thirty years. I really like Jason Garrett. I mean, I've got no issue. I mean. <laughs> you, you might as well be a Philly, you know, a Philly fan too. I mean, I lived in Philadelphia for a year and a half. You know, and they're taught to hate the Cowboys out of the womb. It's not quite the case in New York, but the, but I, I can't have the same kind of hate, so it's not fair. No, yeah, you know. Plus, Tom Landry came from the Giants before he got to Dallas, so you know, you got to. There's something That's right, to, right? I mean, come on. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> that is beautiful. Hey, Chuck, again, I really appreciate you taking the time, man. You know how much of a fan I am of yours, but I'm more of a fan of you as a person and all the chats that we used to have uh, before the games and just talking sports. Uh, uh, I'm going to miss that greatly, my friend. You keep up the good work. Uh, again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Grant, I appreciate you having me, and you stay well. It is now time for our Q&A. Thanks to Crowd Ultra. Just go to CrowdUltra.com. Sign up. It takes a minute. And maybe... I will answer the question right here on my podcast. Tim wants to know what percentage of colleges do you think break recruiting rules? You know, it depends if you're really talking about the letter of the law and every little rule, then I would say a lot. I mean, as far as what type of a percentage, it's too hard to say. But, I mean, you can nitpick. I mean, you can look at a lot of different things that go on behind the scenes that we don't even know about. So, I personally think it's a high percentage, but we really have no way of knowing. Logan wants to know, is it smart to load up on draft picks like OKC has done? Yes, it is, because it's the only way that they will get good. They've got to get lucky in the draft. It's not a market that's going to attract free agents. So, yes, Logan, I think it is smart. Lucas wants to know, do you agree with Magic saying the Knicks can now attract superstars. No, I don't agree with them. I don't think they're there just yet. Again, they still have the same problem, and that is James Dolan. Alex says, have you heard that whoever wins the NBA Finals will win their first championship in at least half a century? How about that? New blood in the NBA. Houston says, does the Dallas drama show Vladi was right about Luka? No, he was wrong about Luka. Luca, if the draft were held all over again today, would go number one. Trey Young would probably go two. And then after that, it would be a debate. But Marvin Bagley would not be anywhere near the top. So, no, he was not right. He, he was wrong. All right, let's move on. Dylan wants to know, how did sports gambling 
become mainstream because there's so much gambling that's been going on, still goes on. And finally, it was like, hey, let's let's legalize it. Let's make money off it and let's regulate it. So, I mean, it's going on anyway. It's going to be a lot more mainstream than even now. I don't think there's any question about that. Kevin wants to know, should the Sixers trade Ben Simmons? I think Ben Simmons needs to be traded as much as the Sixers need to trade him. After seeing game one, Ryan wants to know, will the Hawks beat the Bucks? I don't think that they will. But I got to tell you, man, Nate McMillan has done a marvelous job. Trey Young is developing into a real true star of the game. Got to give them a lot of credit for how well they've played. Kyle wants to know, is this year the A's may finally win another World Series? I don't think so. Let me see them win a first round, and then we'll approach that subject. Mr. Wolf, how much of the NBA playoffs have you watched? How about very little with a capital V? Joe wants to know, is Devin Booker a top 10 player? He's playing like it, isn't he? Isn't he playing like it? And I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, Nate wants to know, are pitchers like Scherzer and Romo overreacting to being checked? Yes and no. They're pissed because it wasn't bargained between Tony Clark, the Players Association, and MLB. Like, they didn't have a say in it. That's what they're upset about. Colby wants to know, what's your thoughts on the Celtics hiring Emei Yudoka? I love Emei. Love the guy. I think he's going to be a tremendous head coach. I think it's a tremendous hire by Boston. Uh, He's paid his dues. He's been a longtime assistant. And I think that he is on his way to being a really top-flight head coach. Jeff wants to know, has DeAndre Ayton shown he was the right choice at number one? You know, it's a great question. I still think Luka Doncic, if the draft were held all over again, would go one. I think Phoenix would take him one. But, I mean, you got to love what Aiton has done. I don't think there's any question about that. Zach wants to know, have you ever spoken to Jason Whitlock? I have not. Ross wants to know, who wins the Stanley Cup? I think it's going to be Tampa. I think they'll win uh, in advance against the Islanders. As I'm talking about this, I think what game seven would be tonight, as you're listening to this, I like Tampa. I think they have the best all-around team. I thought I thought that it would be Vegas. And again, as I'm talking about this, uh, they, they me, you know, they're down three games to two as I'm recording this. So, that's yeah, uh, you know, hockey is a, there, there's a very, very, very fine line, very fine line uh, between winning a cup and not winning the cup. And that's just the reality uh, of the situation. It's time for Fred. Today's rant is brought to you by the Home Theater Company. For your audio, video, and home theater needs, just go online, hometheatercompany.com. Well, you would think that in June, we wouldn't be talking about Marvin Bagley, but we are talking about Bagley because of his stupidity and the absurd Bagley family and their short tenure in Sacramento. The latest being on Wednesday, DeAndre Ayton put out a tweet talking about the 2018 NBA draft class being the best ever. Someone in the comment said they need to get Bagley out of Sacramento. Marvin liked that tweet. And then since has taken the Sacramento Kings out of the bio 
on his social media accounts. Really? Marvin Bagley doesn't want to be in Sacramento. Well, we know that his father doesn't want his son to be in Sacramento. We know that his father has been an absolute embarrassment from day one, the moment he stepped foot in Sacramento. And now Marvin Bagley, who has been a colossal disappointment, largely because of injuries, but the reality is you can't help your team if you're not on the floor, now removes Sacramento Kings from his social media bio. One thing that Marvin Bagley doesn't understand, and certainly his family doesn't understand. Sacramento is a different town. They're used to losing basketball. But if you bust your ass and you make it seem that you want to play hard and play for the fans of Sacramento, they will love you no matter what. Well, what's happened here is Kings fans don't want Marvin Bagley anymore. They're tired of the Bagley act. They're tired of the father. They're tired of the uncle. And now, Marvin, they're going to be tired of you. So you better pray that Monty McNair moves you this offseason. Because if not, you may get booed off the floor this coming season. And quite frankly, I wouldn't blame the Kings faithful if they booed you off the floor. You don't get it. Now, I don't know if you're being influenced by your dad in a negative way, but you're not a little kid anymore. You're a grown-ass man. Act like it. You haven't done enough in your NBA career to say you want to play here or you want to play there and you don't want to do this and you don't want to do that. You're not good enough. Your productivity has not been good enough. So shut up. Get off social media. But for you to take Sacramento Kings off your bio... You better pray. Again, you better pray that you're not a Sacramento King at the start of next season because it could get real ugly for you in a hurry. What an absolute disgrace. And that's my rant for today. And that's my podcast for today. Hey, be sure and check out my video rants as well over on YouTube. Make it a fabulous weekend. And thank you so much for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. That's my podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.